Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Waves of Change. I'm Dr. Mankit Lee. I'm here with my colleague and good friend, uh, Diana. Hi, everyone. Uh, hey, Diana. <laughs> um, and we're very fortunate to have a really good friend of ours and also a previous colleague who also practiced here in San Francisco, uh, Sophia Eng, who's currently practicing in Hong Kong. Yeah. What's Hong up, Kong. everyone? Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this, and I really miss you guys. Yeah, it's a really different uh, experience because uh, back then we were colleagues. Three of us worked together at the same time. Right. Um, but now we're like um, looking at each other in like messaging and uh, also online. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like given the COVID situation, this is this is not an uncommon occurrence. But I'm still very happy to see everybody. Um, we have a very interesting topic today. Uh, we want to talk about um, the difference between Asian identity and an Asian American identity. And we want to talk about was it like in treating these two different populations, right? And because Sophia practiced in Hong Kong, uh, we can definitely learn a lot about, you know, what that looks like uh, and, and all the nuances and whatnot. So let's just get into it, right? So big topic. Um, on the baseline, we talk about like the cultural and then the racial difference, right? And immediately what comes to my mind is that um, a lot of Asians, right, they're, they are, because Asia, or at least China, is uh, quite homogeneous, right? Mo- most people in China are Chinese. Mm-hmm. So they're not exposed to kind of that racial dynamic as a multicultural society like California. Okay. Yeah. So what's it like? Like, I would say that, you know, in the therapy, strictly speaking, there's less conversations around racial dynamics and oppression and that kind of thing. Um, And it really is very much focused on the individual and how they fit within this cultural framework, right? Like, where do I fit in within this predominant, dominant culture? Um, So there's definitely less conversations about how, you know... I fit into this framework of race that I would see when I was working in the U.S. Um, I would also see that like therapy here is very much a privileged thing Mm. where, you know, here being in Hong Kong. Yes. Yeah. In Hong Kong where because there is so much demand and so little supply. um, That's also another thing where it's really catered towards the upper crust of Hong Kong society in the sense of, you know, Mm. there really just is not enough mental health, just practitioners in general in the, in the city. Um, And on top of that, there also is less of an understanding of what therapy is and isn't um, largely due to the fact that it's still not something that is viewed as a common thing to seek out if you are, having issues or whether you're battling mental health issues in your life. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's very different. Wow. So when you're talking about that, I, the first thing that came into my mind, it's like, does it make sense when like people come to you, they have like a more serious diagnosis and, and like things are getting so out of control. That's why they're like, okay, now we have to see a therapist. Um, For and sure. then they find you. For wow. sure. That's actually a really good question. Um, I will say that, yes, it kind of feels like people have waited to the 11th hour 
before they even see a therapist. So it's, it tends to be the case that, you know, this individual has been suffering for a very long time and they're at that breaking point where they're, okay, I think I finally need to go get some help, right? Um, again, because it's, it's viewed as a last resort and not like the first thing or first option that people would go to. Usually what I hear is I've seen my doctor, I've seen even like my chiropractor, I've seen like all these, you know, <laughs> I haven't seen a nutritionist. My Zhong Yi. Like a, yeah, yeah got like, some going, uh, cupping all that exactly, stuff. I'm still depressed. Exactly. Like, I've seen all my people, and <laughs> you're the last resort in a way. And that's, that's a narrative that I hear a lot where parents are, you know, they're exasperated or the youth themselves are also exasperated. And they're like, this better work, you know. And mm. so I really do have my work cut out for me in that there is this pressure and expectation that, therapy is going to quote unquote fix the person or that there, yeah, there is just this expectation that, okay, finally I'm doing this therapy thing where I will finally get the transformation that I'm looking for. So Mm -hmm. it, it definitely pulls out that element that I am very still much like adjusting to. Whereas before I felt you know, um, especially working in a community-based setting, especially working in a school-based setting where social justice and, you know, really reaching out to the individual to say, you can actually get the help that you're looking for, as opposed to what I have now, is really quite the adjustment. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. And Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to say, you know, all suffering, suffering, yeah, right, and totally. we all suffer differently. And though someone is higher on the SES scale, um, SES scale, they're still suffering, right? So let's not discount that. But one thing For we sure. do want to highlight is um, the 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 youth that we work with here in CYC San Francisco tend to be lower SES. So we're kind of addressing the the lower mass hierarchy of needs stuff like you know safety belonging right where it sounds like you know in a more affluent environment um we're looking for uh disruptions in esteem and self-actualization right these are still yes. suffering but I, I imagine that your role as a therapist will be a little mm-hmm. bit different yeah, just to Definitely. make sure that our, our listeners know what we're talking about for SES. SES is social economic status. status. Yeah. Me and my so, acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we forgot that like um, we do need to do a little bit of psychoeducation uh, with our um, uh, podcast listeners as well of like our terms. <laughs> we have way too many terms. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So I, 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 um, I myself also work with parents right now in San Francisco, and I know that Lee and and Sophia also do, um, like working with youths or children, and then working with uh, parents. Uh, what I notice with parents here is that depending on the social economic sta- status, um, some of them really uh, let you take the lead as a therapist, like, um, in San Francisco, okay, you, you do your work and, uh, let me, you know, let me, (laughs) if there's no issue, then it's fine. Um, I'm wondering, uh, for Sophia, like, is that the same case in Hong Kong or in Asia? Yes and no. I think some parents have that same mentality of like, you do your work. I trust you. I trust the process. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other half, I would say, um, they half, come in wow, with, 50%. yeah, I would say it is kind of like a 50, 50 split where, um, some parents are just like, take my kids, do your thing, do your magic. And thank you so much. The other half are, this is my list. This is my laundry list of things I would like to see change in my child. Please fix them. Please address them. Please change their attitude. Or, you know, my my son or daughter is very depressed. At the end of this whole experience, I would like to see a non-depressed son. And so I think, again, there's these expectations and it really puts a lot of pressure on me to perform. And, you know, I really work very hard to check that and make sure I don't feel that as, as much in the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, I don't want to feel that added pressure because it really does kind of impact then how I approach my work. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely that. And, you know, I, I, I was sharing with some people the other day where I got quote unquote fired by a client as, as in by a parent because they wanted, you know, now their child to see a different therapist because they're like, you're not changing, you're still doing, you know, the same self-harm behaviors, you know, you're still very much depressed. And I've only been working with this youth, you know, two months. And I'm like, listen, like, that's not enough time, you know, like, Mm. depression doesn't just go away in two months. It's, It's something that we're managing. And I was actually very upset about it, because I felt like I was actually doing really good work with this youth. And we have such good rapport, we have such a strong connection. And the youth herself was also like, no, I, I really enjoy coming to you, but I don't have, you know, kind of like, she didn't feel like she had to say to tell her parents, like, wow. no, I want to stay with Sophia. Um, because, you know, this kid is 12, and they're going to tangwa, right? And like, <laughs> listen yeah. to what their parents say. And, you know, yeah, well, like, I, I, like, mm-hmm. when you're talking about that, like, I, I just think about, like, how it's different in uh, America because um, there's more authority, autonomy, actually, sure. autonomy on a Absolutely. child or the youth or the client to say, hey, I don't want to work with you, rather than right. having the parent to be able to say that while right. the client actually wants to work with you. Right, um, Absolutely. So, so there's, like, a third force in the in the therapy room definitely and they also yeah. ask for updates they're like how is the therapy going mm-hmm. i'll get like an email saying like give me the status report um i know you're bound by confidentiality they'll kind of be smart about that and say like i know that you know we signed this consent form blah 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 um but yeah like what is she saying like what are things i need to look out for like at its best it's concern and it's like what can i do better as a parent but at its worst, it's really like suffocating in a way. And yeah. I use that word to really illustrate <laughs> um, what that actually does feel for me sometimes where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, you know, they're they're really anxious. You know, I really have to reframe it as like they care so much about their child. But in wow, a it's way, a parallel that, process right there. <laughs> I know. I know so much parallel processing. Oh my gosh. I know. So, like, I, I, one thing that definitely highlight um one thing that kind of brought for me as you described the scenario is this like idea of working in a more collectivistic culture where family is very important and it's almost like you don't really get to do quote unquote individual therapy because there's so much interconnectivity, right? And how one identifies oneself. So it's almost like all individual therapy turns into family therapy, 
because this is how Chinese folks orient ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. Exactly. And it's interesting because as you're describing this case, my like Mnuchin stuff start bubbling up, right? And my family therapy <laughs> stuff start coming up. Like, and then I'm just like, man, this, that's some severe triangulation. And then I'm like, is it possible that they're like, they, like as you're, okay, this is me speculating, right? right. Um, that is it possible that the, as you're experiencing the kid getting better, Right, then it kind of will kind of invoke this sense of anxiety in the parents and going, okay, we need to shut this down. You know, maybe it's an unconscious process. Let's shut this down and fire this effective therapist because if a kid does get well, then we don't have any triangulation going on and we have to deal with the anxiety between the parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, right. it's pure speculation, but I've been fantasizing for the past like five minutes. Yeah, I think you were talking about the more intense cases, Lee. Um, I think that happens. That's my life, though, right? In in San Francisco, too. But I maybe in Hong Kong it will be like more intense because, like in Hong Kong, there's more like monster parents. How they how they call it? (laughs) Helicopter parents, tiger moms, right? And that's like saber tooth moms, right? Like if you think about those terms, what it also brings up is enmeshment right? You are a part of me. You are an extension of me. Therefore, I, you know, get a say, right, in Mm -hmm. your well-being. And yeah, it's it's definitely something that is turned up here to a degree that I've never experienced before. Um, And, you know, some of these kids, their parents, too, have been through therapy, which is also um, a different element of like oh so my parent you know sees her own therapist or sees his own therapist and you know again there's that adds that pressure in a way because it's like they have this um expectation right of like okay so we're all in therapy and this is not for every case but there I have a couple cases where this is happening and you know they kind of have this joint expectation of like we are as a family going to heal and this is going to be oh, wow. better for like the whole. Um, so again, yeah, it's it really, really hard. Oh yeah. Like they, they move heaven and earth and I, I both appreciate it. And yet the anxiety, I think really gets triggered <laughs> a lot for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And I could only imagine like what kind of incidents or scenario had happened um, to trigger that kind of like, we're going to do this extreme like healing process right now, like now. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And, so and the, the political climate, oh, so go ahead. the political uh, climate here mm-hmm. for sure adds to that. Right. Oh, so I think oh yeah. Yeah. That's another layer of like, like complexity where, I think a lot of families are experiencing stress and tension because of opposing political views, whether you're Mm. to oversimplify it, right? Pro China or pro democracy. And um, that's an underlying thing. Again, not all families talk about this at the dinner table every night, um, but that is an underlying stress because the identity of the city is in, is up in the air. It's changing. Right. I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's not too, I mean, America is not too far right now, considering right. we have a lot of Black Lives Matter protests, right? Sure. So there's definitely civil, there's, there's very disruptive, chaotic civil unrest and also very mm-hmm. necessary civil unrest, but it's still unrest, right? Mm-hmm. So right. it can definitely add stress. And not to mention, we're still in a global pandemic. 
Yes. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's well, I mean, Yeah, 2020 is a weird time to be a therapist. And I think if we put the lens of um, the 2020 perspective on that, like, I think we could have a whole different podcast for all our episodes. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's kind of go back a little bit. In terms of treatment, right, because you practice here and you practice in Hong Kong, and I, I know that you have a big box of toolkits ready to go. What what tools and treatment modalities are, are, are more um, appropriate, you find more helpful in Hong mm-hmm. Kong? Yeah, that's a really, really good question in the sense of I noticed straight off the bat that they love solution-focused therapies mm-hmm. where it's like, tell me or teach me the tools or techniques or help me problem solve so that I feel more prepared for my life circumstances. And they love CBT. <laughs> so they they really do um, take to CBT in the sense of let's process how, you know, our thoughts influence how we feel and how our emotional patterns influence, you know, our behavioral mm-hmm. patterns as well. And they find that they don't get to have these kind of conversations, right, outside of the therapeutic setting. And they love also identifying what are my cognitive distortions. I didn't even realize my thinking was distorted. Mm-hmm. So to bounce off of that, you know, a lot of what I see is different as the therapy is they really do look for the psychoeducational piece. They look to the therapist as the expert and they want, yeah, the teacher and they want my professional opinion on things like, you know, I do this. What is your opinion on this? Or tell me more about my depression because I want to understand it better. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I get so, so stressed out so easily or like I get anxiety, you know, um, or panic attacks. Like, how do I manage this uh, more effectively? So they're really asking these very problem solving, solution focused type questions um, that, you know, they really just put out there very early on in the therapy. Whereas I find mm-hmm. that before, you know, a lot of these more solution focused or even this, the more, you know, self awareness piece of CBT, these are conversations I wouldn't have until maybe in the middle to late part of treatment uh, back in San Francisco, whereas straight off the bat here, they're like, boom, you know, give me the tools, give me, you know, all the things and I want to, I just want to heal now. Yeah. So it's very speedy, like very fast. It it makes sense, actually, because when we kind of look back in the research by, you know, Daryl Wing Sue, he talks about the two primary core factors in treating Asian Americans. I'm not sure if it's, you know, generalized to Asia, but the core core factors are credibility and gift giving. So you want to just immediately establish credibility that I'm the expert. And then you also want to, uh, in the first session, have them walk away with something. So I, I see what you mean, right? You, you're giving them a mm-hmm. gift, which is solution-focused solution, and also you establish yourself as a credible teacher in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Makes a lot of sense. That, yeah. is, that is amazing. I, I want to throw in a question that we did not talk about. Is that okay? Uh-oh. Like, we talk a lot about clients, right? I, I'm just wondering, like, for you, um, as a therapist, like, do you mm. notice a difference for yourself in terms of like how you interact with other therapy professionals in Hong Kong when compared to in America, knowing that you were educated 
in the Western, you know, uh, uh, side of the world and Western mm-hmm. theories and 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 such as, um, so like I'm curious about that. Yeah, so I have to admit, I'm very much in my own little bubble in that okay. I interact so minimally with others. And again, I think this is what is also so different in working in private practice versus in a community based setting. I was sharing with my old CYC colleagues in one of the group supervisions I joined in on Zoom that I really miss this aspect of like having a team, having a supervisor, having, you know, like colleagues and even interns, right? To like bounce ideas Mm -hmm. off of, to form a case. And pretty much I work alone in solitude and, Mm -hmm. you know, I have referral sources, obviously, to like psychiatrists, to other therapists, but um, I, I really don't see them or I don't really hear for them from them. And um, I very much work alone and in isolation. Yeah. So that's really that's the different. nature of private practice though. Right? Yeah, totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's, that's a, that's a shift for you. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. And for I think sure. like the pandemic also like, yeah. impacts, you know, you could have happy hour with like therapists, friends, like, at least in San Francisco, Definitely. right? Um, and have like a lot of um, Zoom or, um, you know, trainings or discussions um, with other therapists in the area um, talking about trends, like, for example, Black Lives Matter. With, mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of workshops that come up just for that, um, uh, for discussion. And, mm-hmm. and also talking about like, how do we support the clients that we have right now in this climate uh, right. so i'm just like maybe that might be something that um hong kong might need to um uh, you know like cultivate maybe you could cultivate um like a group a therapist group on talking about how to treat clients with like different political like you know yeah. um, aspects yeah definitely i think there's so much opportunity and potential for that i think it's just yeah i feel like i'm still earning my stripes here a little bit mm-hmm. i'm very much new in the game, but I have already so many ideas, right? Like how can we even host like focus groups or how can we have, you know, even just like surveys, right. To just gather more information. The researcher part of me is also very much like we need more data. We need to understand, I need to understand what I'm working with also better, Mm -hmm. you know, and specifically, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I have a lot of work here to do. I think I just, need to think about the approach and how I want to tackle that. Mm. You know what? Thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us today. You have been uh, amazing. Amazing. We'd love to hear more about your wonderful work in Hong Kong in the future. Um, you're absolutely doing good work there. And I, yeah, I think yeah. we always kind of wrapped up the podcast with like a thought. And I think the thought I want to propose is that you said earlier, um, we, we need to understand more, right? And I think that's it. We need to understand more. So yeah. that'll be the word we all need to understand. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sophia. This is a, a great time uh, with you and we miss you. Oh, I miss you guys too. Thank you for having Goodbye. me. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.